All right, this next song is one that we did last week. We get some newer one, but my buddy uh, Josh Corn here introduced me to this song uh, about a month or so ago, man, right? It's a good song, but let's see how many of you all remember it. Cool? Oh, man, come on. Cool? All right, here we go.
I want to take uh, this next moment. I want to introduce somebody. His name is Muya, right here. Give it up for Muya, everyone. I tell you, I just wanted to take a moment to just uh, tell you about this guy's heart. I'm telling you, when he came in to uh, sing for us, his heart was just, I mean, it, he just has such a beautiful heart. And uh, he comes in and he, you just feel the presence of God just all over him. And I tell you, I'm just excited. Yeah, you guys can, you guys can clap for that. I'm so glad that God has brought Leah here, and he is going to actually sing this next song with us. Oh, it's a song called So Will I, and uh, it's, it's beautiful, and uh, if you know it, I just ask that you sing along. If you don't know it, you know, just let it just speak to you. Just ask God what he's telling you through it. Cool? All right. See? 
you are doing in this place tonight. God, I just thank you that the rocks don't have to cry out. And I thank you that we 
can cry out to you, Father God. Thanking you for the grace and the amazing love that you have shown us. God, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus who makes it all possible. And we all said, amen. Awesome. Muya is such a gift. Give it up for Muya one more time. Well, in this moment, I want you all to greet someone next to you. Tell them, hey, how you doing? And ask them about their week. Good evening, everyone. How are y'all doing? Good day? Fantastic. I love the fact that every single midweek that I've been here, there's always a crazy amount of energy here in this room. And so I appreciate it and so thankful that you chose to be here tonight. And if we haven't met, my name is Andrew. uh, And I just want to let you know about two exciting opportunities that are happening right here at Kensington. The first has to do with our board of elders. And what our board of elders are, are it's, it's that it's the team, it's a team here at Kensington that is made up of members within our community as well as teaching pastors. And what they do is they provide oversight as well as spiritual direction for this movement that we call Kensington. And right now what's happening is that we are accepting nominations for candidates to be a part of this team. And so if any of you know of somebody who is committed to Jesus, somebody who embodies the values as well as the mission of Kensington, and also somebody who has wisdom and discernment, we would love for you to nominate them. And all you have to do to nominate them is go to the website, which is www.kensingtonchurch.org forward slash elders, and you can nominate them right there. And we'd love for you to do that before March 30th, because that's the deadline. Also, what's happening in a few short weeks is Easter. Anybody excited for Easter? Awesome. Easter is going to be amazing. And this year, what our theme for Easter is, is the greatest show on earth. And it really revolves around this whole idea of a magic show. And there's going to be three parts or three acts to it. And Act 1 is going to be happening on Palm Sunday weekend. Act 2 is going to be happening on Good Friday. And then the final act, the culmination of everything, is going to be happening on Easter weekend. And so this is an amazing, amazing opportunity, not only for you to be here, but for you to invite somebody to come with you. And so at the end of the service, as you're walking out, we would love for you to take one of these cards. And inside one of these cards is all the information that you need about Easter and about what's going to be happening here at Kensington. And we'd like for you not only to take one for yourself, but if you know somebody, a coworker, a friend, family member, neighbor, barista, whoever it may be that you want to reach out to and invite, we'd love for you to take uh, one of these for them as well and to invite them to come to Easter. And so 
If you've been here at midweek, one of the things that you know is that since the very beginning of the year, what we've been doing is we've been journeying through the book of Philippians. And every single week, with the exception of two weeks ago, because I forgot, but every single week, what we've been doing is we've been uh, all standing together and reading our passage together. So let's do that today. Before we jump in, let's read what Paul has to say in this incredible book that we've been going through called Philippians. And our passage tonight is Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. And this is what Paul writes. He says, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, only, sorry, it helps if the person who's leading it actually reads it properly. Let's keep going. But also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Awesome job of reading it. Amen. Let's all sit down. And my wife and I have been married now for, we're coming up on 12 years. And thanks so much. Appreciate it. It's been the best, almost best, almost 12 years of my life. 11 years and change. And the very first time we met, though, was I remember it like it was yesterday. It was back in 2003, and we met at an airport in Dallas. And at the time, we were both working for a humanitarian organization called Mercy Ships, and I had just gotten back from England from working with a team there, and she was kind enough to pick us all up. And that night, we met, and we had a conversation. And she would tell you, so her words, not mine, that she was impressed with what she saw, which she was impressed with what she experienced, because honestly, come on now, wouldn't you be too? And honestly, I was impressed with what I saw as well. Not myself, but her. And so that night we met and we had a conversation. And then over the next several months, we got to know each other better. And I started developing an interest in her. But you have to understand, this was Robin. And Robin was somebody who was so well-liked and respected by everyone who knew her within the organization. And also, she had been to places around the world that I had never even heard of, let alone been to. So all that to say, I was a little bit intimidated by her. But what made things even worse was that when it came to women that I was attracted to, I had absolutely no game. Zero. I had no problem talking to women in general, but as soon as I found someone to be attractive, I lost the ability to form coherent thoughts and sentences, and for some reason, ridiculous things would come out of my mouth. And I think it was because when I would be standing in front of them, all that would go through my head would be, you are so hot, and that's all I would be thinking. And so you can imagine, maybe some of you have this problem as well, and so you can imagine it made it really difficult with Robin. Because it, really, it made it really hard to talk to her, let alone ask her out. But one morning, I got up. I got up on the right side of the bed. And I got up and I looked myself in the mirror. And I said to myself, Andrew, today it's time to put your big boy pants on. It's time to actually do something about this. It's time to man up. Exactly. 
And so what I did was I got, when I, later that morning, when I got into the office, I summoned every ounce of courage I had in my body. And I walked up to Robin, and I think I was looking at the ground the entire time. But this was me being courageous. And so I walked up to her, looking at the ground, and I said to her in a sheepish voice, do you want to grab lunch today? Inspiring, right? Said it sort of like that. And in saying this to her, I was trying to let her know, you know what, Robin, I'm interested in you, and I would like to get to know you better. But for some reason, which I can't even still figure out to this day, I guess that wasn't communicated. Because then she, she looked at me, and she immediately asked, who else is coming? <laughs> and that made it really awkward. Because then I had to break it to her, you know what? I just wanted it to be you and me. And I don't even know if she wanted to hang out with me that day. I don't even know if she wanted to have lunch with me. But because she's a kind and compassionate person, she said yes. And that was the first of many, many awkward and embarrassing interactions we had that I can tell you about. But hey, you know what? Look at the time. We got to move on today. And in my life, Robin is the only woman I have ever asked out in my life. If you can even call what I did asking someone out. And the reason is, is that for so many years, I was deathly afraid of rejection. And something that all of us know is that if you're going to ask someone out, you have to be willing to risk. You have to be willing to risk being rejected. It just is par for the course. But I wasn't willing to take that risk. In my mind, that was a risk that was way too big to take. I felt like I was stepping off of a cliff. And so I said, absolutely not. I refuse to take that risk. And I didn't take that risk until I met Robin. But when it comes to risk, I have met so many people in my life who have taken far bigger risks than asking a woman out. I know people who have walked away from promising and well-paying careers and started all over again so they could do what they've always wanted. I know people who have uprooted their family and moved halfway around the world to a place where they didn't know anyone. They had no family, no friends, didn't know the culture, and didn't even know the language. I know people who have given away every penny of their savings to something that they so deeply and passionately believed in. But most of us, including myself, we're not like this because most of us are risk averse. And when it comes to risk, we view it as scary and uncertain. And so we try to choose safety, security, and familiarity almost every chance we get. But if you're a Jesus follower and you want to live not simply an ordinary life, but one that is truly extraordinary and you want to step into and take hold of everything that Jesus wants to give you and everything that he wants you to step into into your life, it's going to require you to risk and at times to risk greatly. And tonight we're going to look at a man named Epaphroditus who did exactly that in that he risked greatly. And almost everything that we know about Epaphroditus in the scriptures is contained in these six verses that we're going to be looking at tonight. But before we jump in into our passage, something that we have to remember is that this book that we call Philippians in our Bibles was written by this man named Paul. And when he wrote Philippians, he was a prisoner in Rome. But as a prisoner, he wasn't locked up in a prison cell, but rather he was under house arrest which allowed him to enjoy incredible freedom. And we see this in Acts chapter 28, because this is what it says. It says that Paul, for the next two years, he lived in Rome at his own expense, meaning he had his own private house. And he also welcomed all who visited him, meaning people could come and go and visit Paul as they pleased. 
But in addition to this, this is something that's truly extraordinary, that he was also able to boldly proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. He did all of this while he was under house arrest. He enjoyed incredible freedom. But of course, during those two years, Paul was a prisoner. And so during these two years, he was chained to a Roman soldier every single day. And so this was Paul's predicament. And when the Christians back in the Greek city of Philippi, when they heard what had happened to Paul, they wanted to help him. Because you, under, you have to understand that they deeply loved Paul because Paul was the one who had introduced them to Jesus. Paul was the one who had started the church in Philippi. And because they knew that Paul was under house arrest, they also knew that Paul couldn't work, and which meant that he couldn't support himself. So what these Philippian Christians did was that they collected some money from the people within their community, and they sent it to Paul. And the person who took it from Philippi to Rome was this man named Epaphroditus. And what Epaphroditus did was that he made this journey from Philippi to Rome, and he gave the money to Paul. But he didn't just drop the money off with Paul, then turn around and go back home. No, he stuck around and he helped Paul in whatever way he needed. And we don't know how long Epaphroditus stuck around, but we do know that it was long enough that him, Epaphroditus, as well as Paul, they developed a very close relationship. And Paul talks about this relationship in verse 25, and this is what he writes. He says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And then he describes their relationship in three ways. He calls Epaphroditus my brother, my coworker, and my fellow soldier. And in calling Epaphroditus my brother, what Paul was saying was that he not only recognized that they were part of the same family of God, but this term brother was also a term of affection, of friendship, of deep camaraderie. And so what Paul was telling these Philippian Christians is that, you know what? Me and Epaphroditus, we're tight. We have a really, really close friendship. He also calls him my coworker, meaning they had worked closely together to achieve the same goal, which was to communicate Jesus to the people around them. He also calls him my fellow soldier, meaning that they had fought battles together, that they had gone through difficulties together. So what we know is that Paul loved Epaphroditus, but he sent him back to Philippi. And the reason he sent him back to Philippi was that at some point, Epaphroditus had gotten sick. And I'm talking like really, really sick, that he almost died. And this news that Epaphroditus was sick had gotten all the way back to Philippi. And these Philippian Christians who loved him, they were concerned about Epaphroditus. And when Epaphroditus heard that these Philippian Christians were concerned about him, Paul says that he became distressed. And the Greek word that Paul uses there that we translate distressed is an incredibly powerful word. Because the only other time that that word is used in the scriptures is to describe the internal, emotional, and spiritual agony that Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was about to be crucified. Same word that Paul uses here to describe how Epaphroditus was feeling. And so these Philippian Christians... They were concerned about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was distressed that they were concerned about him because he didn't want to be a burden to them. He didn't want them worrying about him. And so Paul looks at this situation and he says, you know what, I think the best thing to do is to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And so he did. And in this letter, Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians, when Epaphroditus gets back home, I want you to treat him like this. And this is what he says in verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord, with great joy and honor 
people like him. He's basically saying, give him a hero's welcome. And the reason why Paul wanted them to do this for, um, for Epaphroditus was, as he says in verse 30, because Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. The reason why Paul wanted these Philippian Christians to honor Epaphroditus was that he had risked his life not only to help Paul, but also to further God's mission on this earth. And we don't know how Epaphroditus got sick. We don't know what he was sick with. But we do know, as I mentioned, because Paul mentions it twice in this passage, that he almost died. Meaning that the word that he uses is that he came close. He was at death's door. And unless God saved him, which Paul says that God had mercy on him in verse 27, unless God had saved him, he would have died. That's how sick he was. And many scholars believe that Epaphroditus got sick from traveling from Philippi to Rome because that journey was 800 miles. And back then in the first century AD, it would have taken him three months to make that journey. And the hardest part of that journey would have been the sailing part. And back then, there weren't any passenger ships that you could just get on and buy a ticket for. Because if you wanted to sail, the only way to sail was that you had to find room on a cargo ship, which wasn't very easy. It's a difficult way to travel. And when you were out at sea, you could get caught in a storm. You could get shipwrecked. It wasn't the safest way to travel. And because it was so physically taxing, a lot of people also got sick. And they didn't have the advantages of modern medicine. And so making that trip, 800-mile trip from Philippi to Rome, it was a risk. It was hard. It was difficult. There were no guarantees. But in addition to that, in going to Rome, Epaphroditus was also exposing himself to a lot of danger. Because back then, if somebody visited a prisoner, people would basically assume that they were a criminal themselves. And so you would open yourself up to prejudice as well as persecution. And not only that, in Rome, Christians were being persecuted at the time. And so Epaphroditus goes, and he basically aligns himself with one of the most well-known Christians who were probably there at the time. And so, un- but understanding that all of these risks were in front of him, when the Philippian Christians needed somebody to take that money all the way to Rome, you know who stepped up? Epaphroditus stepped up. And he was willing to risk to help somebody else He was willing to risk to further the mission of God on this earth. And he almost died doing it. And so the big question, as I was thinking and just reading about Epaphroditus this past week, the big question that I've been asking myself this week is, would I do the same? Would I be willing to step out and risk in the same way? Because as I mentioned, for myself and probably for many of you here, we hate risk because we love to be in control. And so we try to minimize it every chance we get. But as I mentioned, if we want to experience and step into everything that God has for us, and even more importantly, if we want to further God's agenda on this earth, rather than running away from risk, rather than pushing it away every chance we get, we have to learn to embrace it. And so tonight, what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you three thoughts in regards to risk that I hope will change our paradigm. It will change our perspective when it comes to this. And the first is, is that when it comes to the Christian life, risk is normal. 
It's just a normal part of the Christian life. Just like love, joy, peace, hope, all those things that we love. Not to mention also pain and suffering are a normal part of the Christian life. So is risk. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. You see this with people that we consider heroes of the faith and that they risk greatly for God. It was just simply a normal part of their life. And you see this in Genesis 12 with somebody like Abraham. Because God came to Abraham one day and he said to Abraham, Abraham, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take everyone in your household. I want you to pack up all of your stuff. And I want you to go to the land that I will show you, he says. He doesn't say, go to the land that I have shown you. Go to the land that I will show you. Basically, start walking, and I'll let you know when you get there. Risk. See this with Noah. Noah built a big boat so far away from water, it was absolutely ridiculous. He risked. People like Moses risked. Esther risked. Peter risked. Paul risked. And as we saw, Epaphroditus risked as well. And these people that I just talked about, they weren't superhuman. They weren't even super Christians. They were regular people like you and me, people who put their pants on one leg at a time. But the incredible thing about them is, is that when God told them, I want you to do this, I want you to go here, I want you to say this, I want you to build this, no matter what it was, no matter how much they had to risk, they eventually said yes, and they did it. And the reason risk is a normal part of the Christian life is because faith at its very core involves risk. Faith and risk go hand in hand. And you see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Famous verse, which defines, well-known verse that defines faith like this. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. And so the author to the Hebrews tells us, you know what? Faith is made up of two things. It's being sure of what we hope for. It's being sure of something that hasn't happened yet and it's being convinced of what we do not see, being convinced of something that's invisible. You don't think there's risk in that? Of course there is. So faith involves risk. That's why in the Christian life, risk is normal. It's a normal part of it. But at the same time, when you look at the scriptures and you look at these people who risk greatly for God, what you see is that They didn't step into these moments. For many of them, they didn't step into these moments and think, hey, you know what? No big deal. I could totally do this. I got this. For so many of them, they experienced incredible fear. And they were afraid of what might happen. You see this with somebody like Esther. And Esther was a queen, and her story is found in the Old Testament. And one day, her cousin Mordecai came to her and said, Esther, your people are going to get slaughtered because there was a genocide that was about to happen. And as queen, Mordecai told her, I want you to go and I want you to go and see your husband, the king, and stop this from happening. But you know what Esther's first response was? It was no. She said no. Because she understood that even though she was the queen, if she went in to see her husband unannounced, there was a chance that she could be killed. So she was afraid and she wasn't willing initially to risk because she had fear. You also see this with Moses. And that when God came to Moses the very first time and said, Hey, Moses, I want you to talk, go to Egypt and go talk to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. That famous saying. And even after God told Moses and promised him, you know what? I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And even after he showed him all these miraculous signs, Moses' response to God was send someone else. And it was because he was afraid. 
And so one of the things that you see is that fear is normal. When God asks us to take a step out and to risk, fear is normal. And some people think that if you're, when it comes to fear, that if you're a Jesus follower, you should never experience fear. Because if you're afraid, then that, what that means is that means it means that you don't have enough faith. That if you just had enough faith, you know what? You wouldn't be afraid. But I think something that we have to understand is that faith and fear are not diametrically opposed to one another. Because I can attest to this in my personal life, and probably many of you can as well, in that when we have taken the greatest risks in our life, when you have taken huge risks for God, when I've taken huge risks for God, I have been afraid, really, really afraid. You also see this in the scriptures because God told his people over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And the reason God told his people that was that one of the things that he understood about who we are as human beings is that we have fear. We have this emotion that's called fear. And I can't think of a single instance in the scriptures where God chastised somebody for simply feeling the emotion of fear which means it's okay to be afraid. But what it's not okay to do, and what God did chastise people for doing, was to allow their fear to paralyze them and to stop them from moving into what God was asking them to do and to risk. Because what you see in the scriptures is that people like Esther, people like Moses, even though they were initially afraid, they eventually said yes, and they risked. And they risked greatly for God. Epaphroditus risked. And so that's also something else that you see with risk takers is that risk takers obey. Because yes, fear is, not fear, risk is a normal part of the Christian life. In risk takers, what you also see in the scriptures is that they were afraid. But at the end of the day, what they did was that they said yes to God. And recently, one of the things, I'm going to tell you a story in a moment about how God has been asking me to risk and to really take a step out in my life right now. And it's been in this area of money where God has been saying, hey, you know what? I want you to risk. I want you to trust me. I want you to take a step out. So isn't this a perfect opportunity to take the offering? <laughs> perfect opportunity. So ushers, I actually want to invite you to come forward. And it really is because really when we give, one of the things that God tells us and asks us when we give, whether, whatever it may be, whatever resource it may be, he asks us to give sacrificially. And in that sacrifice, it really involves risk. So it really is a great time. But if this is your first time with us today, please do not feel obligated to give. And if you have given in the past, and if you are giving, whether it's here, whether it's online, thank you so much for investing in this community. But as I was talking as I mentioned, about risk. Risk is a normal part of the Christian life. Risk takers fear, but at the same time, risk takers obey. And one of the areas in my life right now where God has been asking me to risk, as I mentioned, has been in the area of finances. And when my family and I moved to Michigan in early January, we understood that, you know what, for the first six to 12 months, it would be an expensive six to 12 months and that a lot of money would be going out. And that's because we wanted to buy a house. And also, we also had baby number three. We have baby number three coming in June. And baby number three, thank you. But baby number three for us was totally unexpected, total surprise. Because Robin and I thought, you know what? After our second, we were totally done. And so we started giving away stuff. And like we started giving away car seats and strollers. We're saying, we don't need any of this stuff. Take it all. 
And we gave it all away, or most of it away. But then baby number three came, and we found out, no, we're not done. And we're so excited for her to join us in June. But what it also means is that we're going to have to buy all of this stuff again. And so I looked at this, and I was like, hey, you know what? The house, uh, another baby, and all this stuff. And I looked at our budget, and I said, hey, you know what? I think we can swing this. Because if we sort of cut back here and we do less of this, the numbers make sense. So I thought, it's okay. We got this under control. I can do this. But then about a week and a half ago, on a Saturday night, I was driving home from here after one of our Saturday night services. And I was driving home on Rochester Road, and I ended up rear-ending a Hummer of all vehicles. And so we pulled over to the side, and the guy got out. And honestly, this guy is one of the nicest people I have ever met. Because he wasn't even concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about his Hummer. But he was just concerned about how I was doing and how my little car was. And thankfully, he was fine. Wasn't a scratch on his truck. But my tiny little black Toyota Corolla didn't do so well. And the hood all sort of crumpled. And so if you see a, a little black little car in the parking lot with a messed up hood, that's my car. Thankfully, I'm still able to drive it a little bit. But ultimately, it's not worth getting fixed because it's not worth very much. It's an old car. But I looked at that car and I got home and I said to my wife, oh boy, we're going to need another vehicle. We're going to have to buy another car. And that was also the same weekend that we started our Everyone campaign. Awesome timing. And where Steve Andrews, if you remember, Steve Andrews and Dave Wilson, they invited us to go home and to ask God the question, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved? And honestly, just between me and you, because you're like four to 500 of my closest friends, as well as those people who are watching online, just between us, I honestly wanted God to say to me, hey, you know what? Why don't you sit this one out? Don't worry about it this time, you know? But you, you, need to, you want to buy a house. You got a baby on the way. Now you have to buy a car. So don't worry about giving to this. Somebody else can sort of pick up the slack for you. That's what I wanted so badly, God, to say to me. But my wife, Robin, and I, we still prayed about it. And we asked God, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to be involved? And the number God gave us was bigger than I could have ever expected or imagined. And you know what? My wife has a lot greater faith in this area than I do. And so when we found out, when we talked about it, and we, we said, hey, this is how much God, we believe that God is asking us to give. She was excited because she's probably one of the most generous people that I know. And she's always excited to give. But me, it freaked me out because I looked at our budget and I said, these numbers don't make sense. At the end of the month, these numbers don't make sense. It leaves us in the red. God, why would you want us to do that? And so I was wrestling with it for a few days. And so earlier this week, I went back to God and I said, maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe he wants something else. Maybe it was another number. Or I was thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe that number is for somebody else. Maybe that's the number that God wants me to tell Danny to give or Jalen to give. Maybe that number is for somebody else and not for me. And so I went back and I said, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved? And sure enough, he said, you know what? That number again. And so for the past couple of days, God has been asking me a different question. He's been asking me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And the conversation that we've been having is that he's been saying to me, hey, you know what? You get up in front of people and you tell them 
to trust me. You tell them that I love them, that I care about them, that I am going to provide for them. And do you actually believe that yourself? What do you say to that? And so this coming Sunday is Pledge Sunday. And so what my family and I are going to do is we're going to write that number down and we're going to drop it in the basket and we're going to come forward and we're going to commit to that number. But at the same time, you know what? I'm scared. I'm really scared because the numbers in my head do not make sense. The numbers on our budget do not make sense. They do not line up. But as we just talked about today, and as we saw today, you know what? Risk takers fear. But in the scriptures, these people who took risks for God, they didn't allow their fear to paralyze them, but rather it propelled them to do what God was asking them to do. And so I'm going to try to do the same. And one of the things that Steve Andrews has been talking about amongst our staff is that one of the things that he's been saying is that with this campaign and the giving of money, that for so many people, and this applies to me, is that it's not about the money. It's not primarily about the money, but it's about the heart. And I believe that's what it is about for me because for so many years, how I've lived when it comes to money is like this, with a clenched fist, when God has wanted me to live like this, open-handed and generous. And I know that in asking me to do this, he's asking me, hey, you know what? I want you to step out. I want you to learn to stop treating your money or the money that I've given you like this. And I want you to start living like this, to no longer be chained and oppressed by this, but rather to live in freedom and to understand that everything that I have is God's and that he is the provider of all things. And so to be generous and to step out in this area. And so I'm gonna risk. And so one of the things that I wanna ask you tonight in a similar way is that is there an area of your life where God is asking you to risk? Is there an area of your life where God is asking you to step out in a greater way for him? And maybe for you, like me, it might be in the area of your finances and that God is saying, hey, you know what? Stop living like this and start living like this. Maybe for others of you, it might be with a relationship and God is asking you, hey, I want you to take that first step, that second step, that third step towards forgiving that person who has so deeply wounded you. Maybe for others of you, God is saying, I want you to risk in the area of your career. Maybe still for the others of you, God is asking you to take, to make tonight, which is a risk, the most important decision that you will ever make in your life, which is a decision for him. And to say, Jesus, I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior tonight. But what we want to do tonight is I want to provide all of you with a, short period, with a period of time to just simply ask God that question. God, is there an area of my life where you want me to risk, where you want me to step out for you in a greater way? And as you're asking God that, if he points out an area in your life and that you want just somebody to pray for you or pray with you, our prayer team for the first song, they're going to be up front. And so I want to invite you to come forward if you would like to receive prayer tonight. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And I would love for you to take a few moments to just simply ask God that question. Is there an area that you want me to risk? And then Jalen is going to, Jalen and our band is going to lead us in a song. It's an incredible song that talks about that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are no longer slaves to fear. Fear doesn't have power over us. Fear doesn't have power to paralyze us, but we can step in 
and take hold of the freedom that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And that is how we can live. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you so much, God, that you ask us to risk. It's just a normal part of following you, God. And so often when you ask us to risk, one of the things that you want us to do is you want us to free us from bondage and chains, God. Whether it's chains to money and living a more open-handed life, whether it's holding on to maybe bitterness and unforgiveness, maybe it's chasing after something that you don't want us to chase after, God. But so often when you are asking us to risk, God, it's because you want us to realize greater freedom in our life and take a step towards that, God. And so as we, as a community, as we pray tonight and we ask you that question, is there an area in my life, God, that you want me to risk in a greater way, that you want me to step out for you in a greater way? We pray tonight, God, give us the ears to hear your voice. Give us the eyes to see how you are leading us tonight. But at the same time, God, pray that you would also give us courage, that when you speak to us, Lord, that we would have the courage to step out and to say yes, God, and to move into what you are asking us to do. Thank you so much that you love us so deeply. Thank you so much that you give us everything that we need to follow you. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you would like to receive prayer, even during the song, when we're singing No Longer Slaves, I want to invite you to come forward. Our prayer team is up front. And so if you would like someone to pray with you, if you want someone to pray for you, even while we're singing, we want to invite you to come up and to pray. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song. Of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Sing it out. Cause I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. 
One thing I think we can be reminded of is that God is good. I say it one more time, maybe it'll click. One thing we can be reminded of is that God is good. Right? So I want us to declare that God is good in this place tonight as we sing this last song. Amen? Amen. All right.
thank you. We thank you about the truth that we just sang right now. We thank you that you are good, and because you are good, that you will never, ever leave us, that you will always be with us, God, even when we take steps into the unknown and when you are asking us to risk, and we do, and we say yes, and we take that step. We thank you, Lord, that we will not be alone, but that you will be with us. And so I pray, Lord God, and we pray that as a community, that we would be people who say yes to you, people who have the courage to move in the direction that you are asking us to go. Thank you, God, that you are always with us. Thank you that you are good. And that as we leave this place, that you will be with us. And so we thank you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you as you leave to grab one of these and not only for yourself, but invite somebody to also come for Easter. Just a quick reminder that the next next midweek will be April 11th. So four weeks from now, right here at Troy. And also want to invite you to come back for this weekend, last week of Unstoppable Force. Have a great night, everyone.